This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, it's always with a kind of relief that we return to ordinary time. Not that we don't savor the great holy seasons of Lent and Easter, but we can handle only so much heightened consciousness and celebration. This week, we return to ordinary rhythms, to ordinary time. That's why it's so appropriate that we find this gospel from the 11th chapter of Matthew as we make this return. For the Lord is speaking here about some pretty basic stuff, some of the ordinary facts and truths of the spiritual life. Matthew tells us that Jesus exalted in the Holy Spirit and said, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. For although you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. What are the things Jesus is talking about here as he exalts in the Holy Spirit? It's one of the few times we hear language as intense as that. Jesus just filled up with the Holy Spirit, overjoyed. What are the things he's talking about? I would say it's his whole spiritual program. Allowing the divine life to surge through us. Participation in God's grace conversion and transformation in Christ. I mean, that whole program, the heart and soul of Jesus' teaching, these are the things that are curiously unavailable to the wise and learned, but available to little ones. It's very important now. It's kind of a hinge statement. Whom does Jesus mean by the wise and the learned? Well, In his context, he undoubtedly means the religious officials and leaders of his time, the scribes, the doctors of the law, the Pharisees. What's the matter with such people? What's the matter with these wise and learned that they don't get it? It's obviously not the law as such or their knowledge of it. I mean, Jesus has nothing against the law. I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, he says. Anyone who doesn't follow even the smallest jot and tittle of the law, you know, he's against. Jesus consistently follows the divine law. The problem is not the law in itself, but the way in which these learned and clever hold and propagate the law always with an eye to their own status and position. I've often said in the spiritual life, it's, it's rarely a question of what. It's a question of how. Do you know what I mean? Not so much what we think and see and do. It's how that matters. So here's not the law as such that's the problem. 
it's how they hold and propagate it, namely from the standpoint and according to the needs of the ego. See, look, knowledge, especially religious knowledge, is a wonderful thing. But it can be used in a variety of ways. People of kindness and generosity can use their knowledge to liberate others, to delight and inform them, to allow them to see new vistas and possibilities. We've all witnessed that in the way that a great teacher works. Think of the best teacher you ever had. Here's someone who's used her knowledge to awaken you to open up something new, to allow you to think in a deeper way. Think of the manner in which a great spiritual teacher leads a disciple to spiritual wide awakeness. That's how it works at its best. Knowledge is liberating, enhancing, enlivening. But, but, People dominated by the ego will use their knowledge aggressively as a kind of weapon. And again, we've all seen this, haven't we? It might be at the office or it might be at a cocktail party. It might be in your own family circle. Someone who is, by all accounts, very bright, very clever, but who uses his intelligence to put others down to aggrandize himself, to win arguments, even when it's clear that such a victory is harmful or embarrassing to somebody else. Now, we've all seen it, haven't we? Is someone smart and they're out-arguing another person, putting him down, putting her down, trying to embarrass them? It's a, it's a type of aggression or warfare. Now, there's something especially offensive and objectionable when this takes place in regard to religious knowledge. We've all probably witnessed or even known religious leaders or experts who use their knowledge of the Bible or the law or the religious tradition in order to humiliate, embarrass, or otherwise put others in their place. Their knowledge might well be correct, but it's being used in service of defending the ego. We all know that. We've all experienced it. There's something, I think, especially in our situation where people don't use physical violence all that often, at least in in most interpersonal relationships, but they'll use this form of violence a lot. They might not be explicitly aggressive using weapons, but they'll be aggressive using knowledge. And again, there's something particularly bad when it happens in a religious context. Well, Jesus, I think, is talking about people in his own time who use their religious knowledge precisely in this way. And what he's insinuating is they are just not going to get what he's talking about because he's talking about grace and the divine life and the flow of love. See, that's the program. You can be the cleverest person in the world. You might have a complete knowledge of of the laws of God, but if you don't have the divine life in you, if you, if you use that knowledge aggressively, egotistically, you're not going to get what he's talking about. Who will get it? Little ones. Kids, children will get it. 
Now, how come? <laughs> Why would he say such a thing? Well, I think we've spent a little time examining the minds of children. What is Jesus seeing in children that is spiritually important? Well, I think this is part of it. What children don't automatically carry around like a great burden are the expectations and hang-ups of the ego. Think of a little kid who's just lost in play. He's not immediately concerned with defending himself, with keeping others at bay, with establishing his position. He's not in a rivalry, not thinking about what other people think of him, where he stands in the pecking order. It's just not a, a concern. That kid can live in a kind of wonderment and openness. That's why, you know, a kid can be blissfully happy in the simplest environment. Think back now, isn't it true very often that the times we're happiest in life are when we're doing these simple, ordinary things? Why? Because the ego's been set aside. And in wonderment and openness, we're lost. Again, think of that little kid, oblivious to time, indifferent to the reactions of those around him, unafraid of the future, not preoccupied with status and position. That kid is in a stance of deep joy. And here's the thing, though. With that sort of mind, one is able to respond to the promptings of God without the interference of the ego. One can allow the divine life to surge through one without these hang-ups about status, position, who likes me, who doesn't, where I stand in the pecking order, what are my fears for the future. I'm oblivious to that. Like a kid lost in play, I can be lost at play in the field of the Lord. I can respond to whatever it is God wants to give me. I can cooperate with grace. You see now why the little ones get it. They get the things that Jesus is talking about. Here's something else. There's much more we could say, obviously, about the psychology of children and why it's so conducive to spiritual health. But just one other observation. A child rather spontaneously looks to another for direction. You know how a kid isn't going to rely inordinately upon himself and his own um, you know, insights and perspectives. And A child can look spontaneously to his parent. I have that memory. I think I've talked about it before in other sermons. When I was a little guy, maybe seven or eight years old, and um, just falling asleep in the backseat of the car as my father drove us home, and I had no idea where we're going. I had no idea which roads to take. I had no idea uh, how to get there. But I just blissfully fell asleep, trusting my father would take me where I had to go. So the spiritual person vis-a-vis God. I don't know the future. Nobody does. I can't control it. Nobody can. But the spiritual person is the one who's able, as it were, to fall asleep in the backseat of the car, trusting in the providence and mercy of God not thinking my own way forward so much as turning my thoughts over to God, not making my own plans, not asserting my own will, 
but surrendering to the divine will. That's someone who will get it, who will get the things that Jesus is talking about. The Lord then says, No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. See what he's saying. Jesus lives in intimacy with the Father, but he doesn't cling to that intimacy for its own sake. He doesn't use the knowledge he has of his Father to keep others at bay. Rather, he invites others into it. He reveals the Father to them. See, he wants to reveal the divine life. He wants to give it to us, but we've got to be childlike enough to accept it, to respond to its promptings. The last lines of the gospel have become a sort of adage. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Well, of course, rest for biblical people has a powerful overtone, for it conjures up the Sabbath, God's holy day of rest. And again, this rest has nothing to do with hammocks and taking naps. It has to do with flourishing, the way we rest in a baseball game or a great conversation or in the presence of an artistic masterpiece. It means savoring and tasting. See, what do we labor under? We labor under the demands and the hang-ups and the expectations of the ego. Come to me, says the Lord. Lay all that down. Come to me and be like a child, accepting, receiving, finding rest in Christ, the outpouring of the divine life. There's the path to joy. Those are the things that Jesus knows the little ones are able to take in. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. I'm Father Robert Barron. Our new Catholicism documentary series and study program can now be pre-ordered online. Go to CatholicismPreorder.com. Will you help me introduce this one-of-a-kind film series and catechetical program to your parish, school, and diocese? Journey around the world and deep into the faith in this 10-part, 10-hour epic adventure. Learn more at CatholicismPreorder.com.